Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's time for Football Asia with Paul Williams. Yes, we round out the show as usual with Football Asia with Paul Williams of the Asian Game Podcast. Stevening Paolo. Hey, Paul. Simon. Alex, how are you going, guys? Very, very good. Uh, now, we know it better as the AFF Suzuki Cup, but it's now the AFF Mitsubishi Electric Cup, uh, the Championship of Southeast Asia, which is always a great tournament to watch, and it gets underway tonight. It's flown under the radar a little bit of naturally with the, the World Cup being on. But yeah, the no sooner has one tournament ended that another has started. It's Southeast Asia's World Cup, if you want to phrase it like that. And it does get underway in about 20 minutes, I think it is. The opening game between Cambodia and the Philippines will uh, will kick off. Of course, Keske Honda still in charge of uh, of Cambodia as well. Two nations that are kind of going through a little bit of a, uh, a rebuild as well. So it's a fantastic tournament. They've gone back to the original format. There's no COVID bubbles with no crowds. Now it's it's a home and away format. So each team's going to be playing games at home, hopefully with some, some decent crowds and some decent atmospheres as well. So um, it's great to see it back. And Vietnam is seen uh, as the favourites in this tournament. Park Hang Seo in uh, in his last so, tournament. So. so? Park Hang So. Mm. Right, okay. Park Hang So, is, uh, this will be his last tournament as coach. Uh, and it's also helped by the fact that their big rivals, Thailand, are, are missing a few players. They are, yeah. Thailand are, are missing a lot of players. Their, their star man, really, Chana Tips on Krasin, is missing. The the Supers, Super Chat, Super Nat, um, Super Chai are all missing as well as a, a few other players. So it's a it's a different-looking Thai squad. So it'll be interesting to see how they fare with, effectively, a, a B team. Malaysia, there was some little bit of controversy because none of the JDT players were selected for this tournament as well. Um, so, and we know notionally a lot of the, the Malaysian national team come from, from JDT. So there are a lot of players from Malaysia that are missing as well. So it opens the door for, for Vietnam who have a really strong squad. Um, uh, Nhung Kong um, uh, Hai has come back from France for this, uh, for this tournament. So they've got a really strong squad. Um, so they would go in as favorites, probably alongside Indonesia as me, uh, for me as, as the favorites for this tournament. And given it is Park Hang So's final tournament, it'd be a great way to send him out, given everything he's achieved for, uh, for Vietnam over the last, what is it, five or six years. Indonesia, of course, uh, Shin Yong's team these days, former Brisbane Raw back in the day. Um, t- talking of Vietnam, uh, Park has suggested that more of their players should go overseas. Obviously, you mentioned Nguyen Quang Hai, who's now in France playing with Po. Uh, and by all accounts, a couple more might be set to follow. Uh, Nguyen Van Toan and Nguyen Kong Fong. You can see why Broski didn't want that question. <laughs> uh, with uh, South Korea and Japan potentially the uh, the destinations for those two. I did see, yeah, the rumour of Kong Fong uh, going to uh, to Japan. He's had a couple of stints overseas before, never quite been able to to make it stink, linked with a move to, to Yokohama FC who have uh, earned promotion back up to J1. So that would be an interesting step up 
for him as well. And, and Van Tyne, as you said, with um, uh, linked to, to Seoul Eland, um, who are in the second tier of, um, of Korean football. It would be great if those players could get moves. We've seen it before. We saw um, Pratama Ahan, the Indonesian player, move to Tokyo Verde uh, on the back of last uh, year's Suzuki Cup, as it was was called then. Um, and that looked like a, it was going to be a great move for him on paper, going to a J2 club to really establish himself and really struggled. I think he only played one game across the season. So the, the important thing is when these players move, they've got to be able to move to clubs that's going to give them game time in order to develop. It's not it's not ideal if they just move that they're going to get, you know, be in a great environment, but if they're not playing, it's ultimately worthless at the end of the day. And Paul, looking over uh, in China, there was a big game played overnight. Uh, Shandong Taishan beating uh, Shenzhen eight nil with uh, former Man United mm. player Fellaini scoring twice. Uh, that brings uh, Shandong level on points with Wuhan three towns. Um, no one's catching them too, but they're both on 72 points and just three games to go. Mm. Yes, it sets up a really thrilling um, title chase um, in in the Chinese Super League. I'm I'm kind of surprised that Fellaini's still there. We've seen a huge exodus of the stars from from China over the last couple of years, and you can understand why, given you know the, the strict COVID protocols that have been put in place. It's not really an ideal environment for um, for players, and yet Fellaini has, has still stuck around, and you know potentially on the verge of uh, of winning the the, the, the Chinese title with with Shandong the interest still for me is at the other end of the table Herbay are guaranteed to, to get relegated they had a, a big points deduction so they're currently on on minus two points um, even some talk that the club might fold and they were one of the ones at the forefront of the big spending spree a couple of years ago but you've also got the likes of Guangzhou City and, and Guangzhou FC so um, which you know, Guangzhou FC used to be Guangzhou Evergrande who are on the um, verge of being relegated which would just be an absolute disaster given mm-hmm. where that club was you know only half a decade ago um to uh, to be relegated to the, the second tier of chinese football would be would be quite embarrassing but it says everything about where chinese football is at at the moment and i still want you to find out where the three towns of wuhan are and time for the next show <laughs> um just want to ask you a question a bigger picture question uh, fifa of course i'm sure you've seen announced an expanded mm. fifa club world cup 32 teams in 2025. That's going to go down well in Europe. Uh, playing it once every four years, plus a FIFA Women's Club Cup as well. And a FIFA World Series. <laughs> Talk about going down the American road. Uh, what what does all that mean for Asia? It, depending on, on which one we look at, I think that I, I like the expanded Club World Cup Um competitions um it's not going to go down well with europe as you said but i think from an asian point of view what it does is it's if you've got 32 teams you're going to have probably four or five potentially six from asia so what that does to the champions league and if it is going to be this enormous enormous pay packet as infantino and fifa would like it to be then we know that they're talking about already increasing the, the prize money in the champions league which we know isn't enough already but if that gets increased and you've got you know, four, five, or six slots that then go into this Club World Cup in which you can earn even more money, um, then it, it puts even more impetus on doing well in the Champions League. And I think that the more importance that we can place on that competition, the better. And from the women's side as well, we know there's a, a women's Asian Champions League going to be starting up soon. So if you've got the Women's Club World Cup as well, there's a huge opportunity for Australian clubs if 
the clubs and the APL invest in the A-League women's competition for these clubs to to go on and do something that's, you know, never been done with Australian clubs before, and that's perform on the international stage. And it's something the other codes can't do. They can't have their club sides go and represent against the best clubs. Imagine if we had Sydney FC or Melbourne Victory playing Chelsea against Sam Kerr. Imagine what that would do for the women's game. I think the the, the potential in those two competitions is enormous. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, one final one, Paul. Uh, the World Cup, of course, is over in Qatar. Uh, what spill-on effects do you think there'll be for the National League there? And I'm also intrigued. I, I know some of the stadiums are going to be dismantled, particularly in Stadium 974 that, that was made out of mm. uh, containers. Um, and I think one or two others are going to be reconfigured. But, I mean, they've got, they've got a, an absolute plethora now of world-class stadiums and and surely some of the club sides over there they're not going to be able to fill those what, what do they do with them and they're just going to sit there and rot like some of the others around the world that we've seen in past tournaments you'd hope not i mean i think a lot of them were were built with the idea of dismantling them after mm. the world cup in mind or at least altering them down to you know more manageable capacities for what qatar needs them to be as you said stadium 974 is going to be um dismantled completely what happens with the league is going to be interesting. I think they would have been hoping that the national team performs better and they can then sort of get a boost on on the back of that. I did speak to uh, someone from the QSL a, a couple of months ago and they spoke about wanting to, to pivot the competition away from being a place where, you know, fading European stars come for a big payday. They want it to be effectively a youth development league where they get the best young players in the world to come in um, and then sell them off uh, to uh, to Europe eventually and, and use that as a way to, to build the competition. They want the Qatar Stars League to be the place where stars are born effectively, and that's a huge pivot from where they have been, and I'm it's a huge task to be able to get the best players in the world to want to go to Qatar as a as a feeder league, but that is the ambition that they've got in mind. It's been met with a little bit of resistance, as you would expect from some clubs in Qatar as well. So I think the entire Qatari football landscape is um, going to undergo a, a huge transformation on the back of this World Cup. And if they can pull it off, then all power to them because it's a it's the ideal path to go down. Um, but they're going to uh, going to face significant hurdles in actually mm. getting it done. I think you might have come up with a marketing slogan there, Paul. Qatar Stars League, where stars are born. <laughs> uh, they can pay me later. <laughs> yeah. And uh, oversized stadiums and uh, youth development leagues. I think we that sounds familiar, doesn't it? I wonder where we've heard that before. <laughs> hey, Paolo, brilliant as ever. Uh, love your insight on the Asian game. Don't forget to tune into the Asian Game podcast. And uh, Paul, uh, Paolo, we'll speak to you next week. Cheers, guys. And a Merry Christmas to both of you and all the listeners as well. And you too. You too, mate. Thanks very much. That's Paul Williams from the Asian Game Podcast.